Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Elise Dupre, Managing Editor of DMN, and I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Leslie Ducker Doty, EVP of Consumer Marketing and Revenue for Time Inc. To say that Leslie's resume is impressive would be an understatement. She's held high level positions at well known brands like CVS, MasterCard, City, and trusted media brands, formerly Reader's Digest. And she was also a 2015 DMN Marketing Hall of Femme honoree. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Elise. I'm really happy to be here today. We're happy to have you. So I just listed a number of places that you've been, <laughs> um, and you said, as I mentioned, like you have a very impressive career, to say the least. Thank you so much. So I want to know, what's your superpower? <laughs> How have you been able to work at all these incredible brands? Well, you know, for me, it's really all about passion and loving what you do. Um, I love working on brands. I love understanding consumers' uh, engagement with brands. I love discovering what the emotional connection is between consumers and brands. And really, for me, that's what marketing is all about. And, um, and you really have to love what you do. Um, and by loving what you do, you come to work every day, and you have goals, and, and you can accomplish them. So you've been here at Timing for a little more than a year, is that right? right? That's right. So what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned within your first year? Oh, um, the biggest lesson. Well, it's it's uh, that you have to be very, very flexible. You know, <laughs> I thought, you know, in the past, I've I've always tried to be flexible. You come in, you have a particular focus, you have a plan, you put the plan together, you gather people around you, and guess what? The next day, something changes, mm-hmm. and um, and things around here have have changed pretty consistently. Um, and uh, but we've, you know, we've developed a strategy, and we're following the strategy. And no matter what is happening around us, no matter what the noise is, um, you know, you know, we've been able to persevere. Awesome. So your title is EVP of Consumer Marketing and Revenue at Timing. So what's your job like, and what are your goals specifically for your position? Right. Well, um, I am responsible for. All marketing that is direct to consumer. It's really interesting because I haven't spent most of my career in the publishing industry, mm-hmm. but in tr- traditional publishing back in the day, marketing was really all about ad sales. Right. Right. So we've really, so I have this funny title, you know, consumer marketing revenue to indicate m- more internally as well as externally that consumer marketing is a very, very important part of what we do and and an important part of our strategy. Um, I'm responsible for, you know, all marketing, consumer marketing strategy, um, development, execution for all of our core products, which are primarily print and digital uh, uh, magazine uh, brands, of which we have 22, like, people and time. I mean, it's great working on these huge, fabulous brands. Um, But, you know, so that's one part of my job, and and really that's about optimizing the revenue uh, for the magazine business, which, to be honest, and everybody knows, is a market that's in decline. Mm -hmm. But we have these incredible, iconic brands that people love and enjoy, whether they enjoy the content online or they enjoy the content in print. 
and we know a lot about our customers and we know a lot about their interests. So the other part of my job, um, besides you know managing our core business, is really developing new products and services that are non-magazine products okay. that our customers you know really give us permission to sell that they would have an interest in. So you know we just launched um, uh, the first new direct consumer product uh, two weeks ago called Pet Hero, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, has taken a lot of work and effort since the day I walked in the door because we have 10 million uh, customers within our database across all of our brands who are pet enthusiasts and pet owners. So we, and and uh, People Pets is really a, a, a cornerstone um, content is cornerstone content for people. So by combining all that, we're we're offering uh, customers other types of vet uh, services and bar and boxes and all kinds of cool stuff. So that's a really cool part of my job. That is really fun. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of new stuff, like yes. with the digital, but also dealing with a lot of legacy that so many of these great brands like Time, People, and InStyle all have. Yeah, I I mean it's uh, you know I, I think as I said. You know, in the in you know your first question, you know, for me, it's passion around the customer, mm -hmm. passion around the brands, and what is that connection? And that's really one of the reasons, you know, I came to Time. I am very fortunate that I've had the opportunity throughout my career to work on really big brands. You know, mm -hmm. Citibank and CVS and Mastercard. Um, but just working on a big brand doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. And it's the legacy, the, the legacy of that iconic brand for a brand to exist for 90, mm -hmm. 50, 90, 30 years. Right. And continue to engage new generations of, of consumers, not necessarily in the same way not delivering content necessarily in the same way, which for us is certainly a, a big challenge mm -hmm. these days. But, um, you know, it was funny. I was talking, I was just came back from vacation. I was talking to someone. I was telling them what I do. And I said, you know, People Magazine is still a big magazine. They said, oh, I'm a closet people reader. I said, you don't <laughs> need to be a closet people reader. Just get out there and read it on the beach. Exactly. So, be proud. Yeah, be proud. Right? <laughs> so let's talk about this changing media landscape mm -hmm. a little bit more. Um, before Time Inc., you worked for uh, what was formerly known as Reader's mm -hmm. Digest, now Trusted Media Brands. So given your experience in media, um, what's the biggest change that you've seen in the media landscape, just let's limit it to this past year, that you think marketers should really be aware of? I, I mean, the, the, the media environment um, and the model, the, the actual financial model for media is changing faster than anybody had anticipated. Mm -hmm. Uh, the publishing industry um, was built on, you know, producing great content that consumers loved. But, but um, you know, majority of the revenue didn't come from subscription revenue, even though that was, you know, important, big revenue. It came from ad sales. And, you know, with the move to digital, um, the move online, even though, um, you know, obviously we have, you know, big digital ad sales, uh, uh, you know, uh, effort, you know, it's a big part of our revenue, it's bigger than the consumer revenue, but Facebook and Google mm -hmm. have really come in and taken all of the market share. The market's been growing um, in digital ad revenue, and it's all going to Google and Facebook. So, uh, 
So from that piece of the business, um, the biggest challenge is how do I serve my advertisers? How do I serve my consumers? How Mm -hmm. do I deliver audiences? Mm -hmm. And the more you know about your consumers, the more information you have on your consumers, I think the, the better the media industry can serve advertisers who really are interested in premium content. Because, you know... Consumers' feelings about brands have changed somewhat, but, you know, the programmatic advertising, it, it just doesn't drive conversion, and Facebook and Google know a lot about you. Right. Well, you know what? I know more about my customers than Facebook and Google do. Wow. So <laughs> if, if you use data, you know, there, so there are ways to counteract that, but that, that really is, is really what's, what's driving the change in the industry really dramatically. So let's talk about your work history a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Prior to working for these media companies, as we talked about, you worked for financial brands like MasterCard and Citi, mm-hmm. but then you also also worked for consumer brands like CVS. So what's been the biggest difference between working for a financial financial brand versus a consumer brand versus a media brand, and right. do they share any similarities? Well, they share a lot of similarities, which is, which is I think, why I've been able to work across industries. Mm-hmm. I started my career in financial services. Um, my focus for most of my career was in payments, card payments. And so the financial services industry used data um, from a decisioning perspective to you know, drive offers, drive communications, really understand customers, really understand modeling and segmentation targeting, um, way ahead of, of other consumer industries. Mm-hmm. So, um, so who you made an offer to, who your customer was, uh, what kind of card product they wanted, all based upon data and models and financial models were, were built on data. And going to CVS as well as in the media industry, I think what attracted me to the industries and what attracted them to me was the fact that they were moving much more in a direct-to-consumer direction because mm-hmm. consumers are more and more making choices about you know what they're going to buy and where they're going to buy it. Right. Um, so going to CVS... Um, I was at CVS at the time. I was on the the Caremark insurance side, and they had you know seventy million in members. But it was, um, but they didn't acquire them directly. It was mostly hmm. through employers or through third parties. But they knew with the coming of Obamacare and um, different types of health care products mm-hmm. that consumers will be making more of their own choices and they didn't know anything about their customers they knew what kind of prescriptions they bought they knew yeah. how often they knew what they spent but they didn't know about their lifestyles and more and more in the healthcare and health and wellness industry outcomes are becoming more important so it was about understand your consumer, understand their lifestyle, and changing their behavior. And that's what a direct marketer does by understanding the customer. So it was really applying those, um, you know, becoming a much more consumer-centric company and applying data methodologies to understand and then execute that um, to, to get better results. Um, was really what that was all about. And and for the publishing industry, similar, mm-hmm. similar things, a subscription model and a 
card payment model is they're both subscriptions. You pay, well, you don't pay a fee for anymore for a card product, for a debit card or mm -hmm. payment card, but it's, it's a product that you use and you pay on a monthly basis and you choose to keep and you, you create, you want that card to be top of wallet. You want that magazine to be the one chosen, but it's not a one-time purchase. It's a continuous right. purchase. And, and the economy is becoming a subscription economy with Netflix and Amazon Prime and 55% of the consumers in the U.S. are on Amazon Prime now. I mean, it's amazing. And we're moving in that direction. I think going into media, transforming media, stabilizing media in a declining market, um, really driving a digital transformation where consumers will purchase um, online. It might be a digital product, it might be virtual, it might not be, but make that purchase online, convert online for mm -hmm. a subscription-based product. And that's kind of why I went into media because it was taking all of my experience in the past you know, with iconic brands and really going into this transformation mode. That's a really cool trajectory. Yeah. So speaking of cars, one of your major wins in your career was being a business lead for Citibank's yes. co-branded car yeah. uh, card. Excuse me. Can you talk to me about that experience and what you really learned from it? Yeah, I, I ran. Uh, I was very fortunate uh, to run the Citibank Advantage card business, um, and. Interestingly enough, um, when when I took over that business, <coughs> it was it was not as profitable actually mm -hmm. for Citibank as it is today. It was a little bit early on, and um, in terms of the relationship for in credit card business, um, for good or for bad, you make money if people re revolve, right? And um, so all of American Airlines' best customers, um, their frequent flyers, you know, were getting the Advantage card. And guess what? They paid it off every month. So, hmm. you know, so we needed to really expand our audience. Mm -hmm. And we needed to learn about this is really where I first, you know, it was my real first aha moment from a brand perspective in terms of what a consumer's or customer's aha moment was. Because we thought it was all about flying and all about destinations. And, and we learned, which now is pretty obvious in our, you know, gaming society. But then it was like, it's not about, you know, getting miles to go to Tahiti. It's about the process of collecting miles and gaming the system to collect more miles. And mm -hmm. it was about that engagement. That was a big aha moment. And and we developed a campaign based upon, it was called, you know, or was it the miles, based upon that, you know, new, um, you know, that idea, that aha moment as to why people really want to use this card. And then we were able to really expand and create an entire, you know, we said, this is currency, guys. We're going to create an entire currency, and, you know, the rest is history. But that, I, I really learned, you know, how, how to make that big pivot um, from a branding perspective. Another thing that I think is really interesting with your career in particular is you've had a number of titles. So from CMO to SVP to, new, to now EVP. <laughs> 
So with all of these new marketing titles that we're seeing today, um, kind of like chief customer officer right. and all of those, what's the biggest difference between the roles that you've had and were there any certain responsibilities that you really liked or disliked that were associated with each one? Right. Um, you know, it depends on the company, sure. right, and the size of the company. Um, I'm glad that there's finally a CMO, a chief marketing officer title, and that can be divisional or it can be enterprise-wide. Um, in, in, um, in all cases, um, I have had responsibility for either a line of business, um, a business unit like, uh, uh, or a... a um, a domestic business or mm -hmm. domestic and international, um, and as as my titles have changed, um, the one thing that has been constant is I have had responsibility for research, um, uh, communication strategy, and execution. Sometimes I've had both responsibility for product and communication. Some just product, hmm. and as I've gone. Um, with the different titles, um, I've had more operational. That's really been the big change. Um, obviously, some of the, 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 the responsibilities have been greater. Mm -hmm. I've much more not just the marketing side of it, but the operations side of it. And now I have the data and analytics side of it, um, as well as all of the financial responsibilities. So in the past, I might have been responsible for a P&L. Now I'm responsible for, you know, the P&L of an entire enterprise. So, so it's really been progressive. Um, and, you know, I have to say that what I love the most is, is what I've always done um, in terms of developing new strategies, new products, launching them. It's been all the growth stuff. I love <laughs> that. Um, you know, that's my passion, creating new things, you know, growing businesses, generating revenue, um, you know, and as I've inherited the operations side of the business, you know, that was a little tough for me, I think, in the beginning, because I didn't grow up in operations. Mm -hmm. um, and the level of detail, you know, my, you know, I feel I'm creative, I'm, I'm data-driven, I'm quantitative, I'm financial. I'm not operations. I've always let other people do that. So since it's not my strength, um, and it's very, very detailed and process-oriented, which, um, again, is, is, is not where my expertise is. I've hired people who are really good at it, hmm. right? And that's really where I don't feel I have... I always try to hire people who are going to add value, add skills that I don't have, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, one of the joys now, you know, obviously we're all, we're all in the digital world. I get to do lots of digital marketing, you know, it's mobile. You know, I was doing that in financial services. It's great to see, to see that that expand. But um, you know, the the totality of the enterprise that I'm responsible for now is is really very invigorating. Yeah, you've actually have the words marketing and revenue in one <laughs> title, so no pressure there. Right. So for you so, have to deliver, right? Yeah, I love that you have to deliver. But unfortunately, not all organizations view marketing as a revenue generator. Right. Sometimes it's viewed as a cost center. Right. So how can you really make sure that you're really driving and delivering that ROI? What's the secret to doing that? Um. It's all about the metrics and it's all about the data, right? Mm -hmm. you, have to, um, you have to look at 
you know, in some environments, marketing is a cost center because if you're in a sales environment and marketing is seen as a support function, mm-hmm. right, um, then the P&L sits someplace else. So for someone going into marketing, my advice would be, you know, whatever job you take, make sure that you that you're a unit or that you get P&L responsibility. You know, don't take a staff job unless you want to do like corporate communications, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, corporate communications is great and that's and you know, PR, all of that, that's much more of a staff function. Um, but work in an organization where marketing is driving revenue. Mm-hmm. And and to be here honestly in publishing, that's been a shift where, you know, marketing is is seen as a revenue driver. And certainly in our transformation since I've been here at Time, it is it you know, it it's quickly become and I'm very happy to say it's quickly become the cornerstone of our strategy moving forward. But um even if you are in a marketing area that is a support function, know your numbers, know what are your key performance indicators, what are the levers you have to pull. It's really all about the numbers, and then it's all about the data that drives the numbers. It's all about you know, what, what the trends have been, you know, what you can influence, and then showing you know, quantitatively what you have delivered. Even if you're not responsible for that revenue, you contribute to that revenue. You make sure you're in there and you know, what have I delivered to the company and what is what has my value been in dollars and cents. So really paying credit where credit is due. Yes. So Leslie, did you always knew did you always know that you wanted to be a marketer? Um, well, uh, actually, uh, originally I was gonna be a lawyer. Um, and um, and I uh, actually, as it went, I actually, I got sick my senior year in college. I got mono my senior year in college and graduated late and didn't take the LSAT, so I had to finish. And then I went to work, and uh, I worked at NYU, and um, I actually got to go to graduate. By working there full time, I got to go to graduate school for free. And I said, oh, well, you know, there are these business... And I I was... uh, My major in communications at Northwestern, and that was all about how speech affects action and behavioral change. And so I said, you know, I'll take a few of these MBA courses while I'm studying for the LSATs. And I, I took a marketing course, and I said, this is for me. This is really about who I am and what I love... And it was really about the research side first that, that I loved. It was about learning, you know, learning about consumer behavior, learning how to change that behavior, and then translating it, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I consider myself a data and quant geek, but I'm also very creative. On the other side, is the perfect combination. So, yeah, so I went into the program, and the rest is history. And I've always been a marketer. The rest is history. So was it really that class that was kind of the light bulb moment and the thing that sparked the passion? Or was it, you know, a career experience you had later down the line that was like, this is 100% what I want to be? The class was first. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my, actually, my very first job was actually with Elizabeth Arden. Wow. Back in the day, for a short time, uh, the cosmetics industry was not, you know, it was a tough industry. And, and... That, their management training, it was my first job out of MBA school, their management training program was very sales-oriented and mm. very retail-oriented. And 
you know, to me, that wasn't marketing. Right. That's not what I wanted. I wanted to do advertising or product management or, or, or marketing. And I actually, so I worked there in that industry for about five years. And then I said, you know, this really isn't for me. But I still knew, you know, that I really wanted the more of the pure um, marketing at the time, execution, campaign, development. And, and then I went to Citibank. Right, and I was an assistant product manager, and that was really the path, and I just continued on the path from there. And that really affirmed that what I thought I wanted to do, I definitely wanted to do. So it, there was a little detour there. It took me a little bit of time. But it led you on the right road nonetheless. Nonetheless, <laughs> yes. So as we also mentioned, you were a 2015 DMN yes. Marketing Hall of Fame winner. Yes. Uh, and I want to talk about some of the responses you included in your profile a couple of years ago. So one thing that you said that I really loved was when a team is having a meltdown or people are stressed out, feeling overwhelmed, you remind them that, quote, we're not doing brain surgery here. Is this still something that you echo to your team today or that you still believe in? I do. And actually, I think I said it this morning in an executive <laughs> meeting, but I think I used the word neurosurgery or something. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I was talking about customer service. And, uh, um, you know, we have over 30 million customers, and, and, you know, I've put a lot more automation and technology into customer service. So we don't talk to customers four minutes, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, a day, a, a call, which is, we can't afford to do that. And I said, we're selling magazines here, right? We're not doing <laughs> So I do. I, I um, you know, this is, this is not an easy industry. We're in a time of transformation. We're asking, we're bringing a lot of new people. We're asking people who've been here a long time to do things very differently. You know, you come to work every day. It's your life. As I, as I say, you have to love what you do. You have to have passion around what you do. You also have to deal with, you know, what is the reality, mm-hmm. right? And the reality is there are some things that are, this is very important. This is what we dedicate ourselves to, but we're not, you know, there are other, we have to get perspective. I like that. I think it's important for everyone to maintain mm-hmm. that perspective. Yes. You also advised our readers to track how much time they spend with customers and prospects versus marketers and business people. Because you said if you know your customer, as we've talked about on this podcast, you're going to win. So do you still track this at timing? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. So um, when I, uh, you know, I, as I said, I, you know, now I manage operations. Part of that is customer service. Which I, which I haven't always had, you know, that breadth of responsibility in the past. And I say, is anybody listening to calls? How are the calls? What are we doing? You know, and, and really getting into that. Um, I've, I've really upgraded the data and the research area, looked at the research, understand the customer. I've introduced very, very different methodologies mm-hmm. to understand our customer. To, and as we develop new products to make sure that we're not talking to ourselves, that it's, it really comes from the customer, their needs, their wants, their desires, and that we are developing products and services that, that they, they will have a passion for. So none of that has changed. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to being a DMN Marketing Hall Femme winner, you were recently named a 2017 Women of Power and Influence yes. Award winner. I mean, how cool is that? Um, and this was given by the New York chapter of the National Organization of Women. And I was reading their website, and they said they honor women who have broken through the barriers of their industry and served as role models. 
So you definitely fit the bill. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So well, both honors have been tremendous. You know, well, I'm really very honored you. to have been recognized. Thank you. Now, today, many CMOs are still men. Mm -hmm. So given your career experience and these honors that you've been given, what, in your opinion, will help bring more women to the C-suite in the marketing industry? Well, you know, um, I used to think that it was all about results, right? You know, when I was earlier in my career, it was about results. Um, you know, if you deliver, you will do well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to be honest, I was not a great networker. I didn't know how to network then. I didn't know the importance of it. Um, and um, I think today, and, and certainly with the, with the Internet and with the tools we have, networking is critical. You need to take the time to be with colleagues, um, to uh, express your, your, your ideas, um, with those you work with and those you work for, you need to to expand yourself out into your industry and other industries. I mean, it's a way to continue to learn, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a way to have an outside view instead of just an inside view. Um, and I think you need to know, you need to understand how businesses work. Right. Um, it's hard, though. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's like one step forward, two steps backwards. Um, uh, and, and I, you know, like many women, women have to prove themselves harder. We play the game differently. We, we talk differently. Mm -hmm. we, we approach problems differently. But pick your head up. Don't just keep your head, you know, we tend to deliver, 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 you know, keep my head to the grindstone, whatever. You need to, you need to take care of yourself as well and look just beyond, you know, what your particular uh, objectives are within your company and go outside that. So networking and constantly learning um, and, and bringing new ideas um, and being vocal, right? And, and if it isn't working where you are, go someplace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do want to touch on that. So you've had a number of different titles, mm -hmm. and you've worked for a number of different companies, as right. we've discussed. So what's your advice in terms of knowing when to seize an opportunity and when it's time to leave and pursue mm -hmm. something else? I think you really, honestly, have to follow your heart. Um, I believe that people really know um, but there, there are a few things. One, if you're in a state, what I call a state of hate, <laughs> right? you, come, you hate coming to work, you hate your boss, you hate the environment, you just don't think it's working, or you're just not in agreement, you don't like what you're doing, you need to change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, every, you know, it's, as I talk about my life now, it sounds like everything was planned out, but it wasn't, you know, opportunities came and went, you know, um, I made opportunities for myself, you know, believe me when there weren't opportunities there, but, but you really need to have focus and, and goals, right, and say, okay, well, you know, again, what do I want to get out of this? It's not mm -hmm. all about you. It's about your organization. It's about your colleagues. It's about, you know what? Where is the best fit for me? Do I went out, um, you know, and 
you know, I, I actually did a little consulting for a short time, and it wasn't for me. I, you know, I like, I grew up in big companies. I wanted to be in big companies. I like having the resources. I have friends who are entrepreneurs. I always thought I was an entrepreneur. I'm entrepreneurial. I, I'm not an <laughs> entrepreneur. I do not have that singular passion and drive that someone who owns their own business has. So it's, a lot of it is knowing yourself, knowing what your goals are, having some idea where you want to go and is this the right environment for me to get there and you know what if you feel like you're beating your head against the wall you leave if an opportunity comes up and this is something you want to do go for it but make sure that it's the right fit for you how do you really make an opportunity for yourself when there's not one there um well um you you well, networking is important, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have to kind of survey the landscape, um, see what the needs of the company are, think about that, make suggestions, and, you know, make it win-win for somebody. I hate to say it, everybody has their own agenda. So if someone comes to me with an idea, you know, I encourage it, comes to me with an idea, and we have a particular need or we have a particular gap or that might be a good idea, you know, go for it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, don't be afraid to, to but it, it has to be something that will fit with um, that, you know, managers or directors or whatever, VP, whatever, agenda. Try to understand what the agenda is. Try to understand the personalities of who you're working with. And that's kind of how you create opportunities. I feel like networking can be really awkward for a lot yes. of people, too. Do you have any tips for those who are hoping to be a killer networker like you? Um, so, you know what? You know, some t when I go into, um, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with people, but when I go into a new situation, um, I still have to take a deep breath before I walk <laughs> in, you know, put my game face on, and just not be afraid. I think that's a di that's some of a difference between men and women. Men are not afraid to go in and say anything mm -hmm. to any not all men, but in general. You know, they'll just they're not they just plow through. They they're not worried about being rejected. Right? I think women worry over worry about being rejected mm -hmm. and over worry about Now everybody says you have to have your elevator speech. Yes and no. I think you have to know, you know, why you're there, what what it is, you know, look at the people who are going to be there, what are your objectives of being there, and remember that everyone is feeling as insecure as you are, <laughs> really, and everyone is there for the same reason, and you never know who you might meet. That's true, you, you never, know. never know. And then is there a lesson that you wish you had learned earlier in life? I, I, actually, it's really about networking. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, I just, I, as I said earlier, I felt like if I, you know, if I delivered the numbers, if, if I delivered what the company wanted, if I delivered against the objectives or over-delivered, it was a nice person that that was enough, but it wasn't. Right. And, and, um, and so I wish I had known that earlier and I wish I had picked my head up a little earlier and kind of... And even today, you know, I'm thinking, you know, because we're in a very intense environment here, we're in a transformation, 
am I personally spending enough time? You know, I get invited to a lot of stuff now, which is nice, and I don't make time for it. And I remind myself, I, you know, I, I still have to work on my career, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 reach out and learn new things constantly, learn new things, and go out and meet new people. I think that's so refreshing. Even at the top of your career, you still want to learn new things and you want to improve your own career. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's not over until it's over. <laughs> <laughs> it's not over until it's over. Right. Well, unfortunately, I think we're running low on time for this podcast, so the podcast might have to be over. But Leslie, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. It's been so great discussing your career experience and your advice. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Make sure to visit dmnews.com for future podcast episodes. I'm Lisa Bray. Have a great day.